Here we are locked on NFL Tuesday edition alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. We are taking you around the league daily as we do here on the number one daily sports podcast network. We've got to get into Monday night football. There is a black cat that is sweeping (laughs) the internet world right now. I woke up to uh, all black cat memes on the Twitterverse on Tuesday morning. And uh, coaching hot seats is something I think I want to get into with you, Matt, and maybe we'll rank the hottest seats for the coaches and what we would do in those situations if we were uh, GMs in charge or owners maybe even in charge of hot seat GMs for franchises around the league. You can find this podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, just like any show here on the network. We've got you covered for just about every team in the NFL NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL, and a bunch of college teams in that network is growing as well. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. I thought maybe this could be a potential upset game, upset special for the New York Giants in early after a bad DAC interception and the Giants hanging around through the first half and really for the through the first three quarters. I thought, okay. I'm on to something here. And then the Cowboys poured it on with three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They won it 37-18. Yeah, and even going into this game, I thought maybe the Giants would get one. You know, Dallas just lost in the Big Apple or Jersey, you know, a couple weeks ago to an inferior team. Don't really trust that coaching, you know, the, the coaching situation there. But they're just far more talented, and Dak's playing really well. Uh, I enjoyed watching the battle at the line of scrimmage. You know, a lot of high, high price, you know, top end, um, three hundred pounders when Dallas had the ball, and two really fun running backs to watch. I thought Barkley looked great. I thought he looked totally back. Jones is learning, but I think there's promise for this offense. But in the end, I mean, Dallas is just a, a far superior team. I give them credit for being mentally tough enough to not go into a shell after a really horrific start. And I think Dak has a lot to do with that. I mean, I think he is a bulldog, and I think that people follow him on that team, and he's really becoming a leader. Um, someone mentioned him as an MVP candidate. That seems a little harsh to me, or a little strong yeah. for me, but I think he's a Pro Bowl-type guy. So looking at Saquon's numbers here, on the rushing side of things, he's having a tough time, and I think teams are selling out against the run and, and daring Daniel Jones in the passing game to beat them, which is very much the, the smart thing to do if you're sure. facing that New York Giants team. He hasn't had 100 yards rushing since week two against Buffalo and and actually went over. He went His best game was 120 yards against Dallas in week one, and obviously he missed a month with injury, so that's part of it, but his rushing totals the last four games are 10 he had 10 yards at Tampa Bay coming back. Uh, or right, uh, that was that was when he got injured, so he had eight rushes. Uh, 18 rushes for 72, 19 for 64, and then 14 for 28 last night, doing most of his damage right now through the air, which is why he's such a you know an important weapon for them because of his receiving ability. But um, I don't think they want to overwork him coming off the injury, but it, I think they could even pound the ball more with him, throw it to him more. Uh, you know, just more designed touches rather than just dump off type stuff just to get him as involved as possible because he's obviously their best player. But numbers wise, I think he could be doing even more for the New York Giants. And when he's that key, a piece of your team, I mean, get the young man the ball. Yeah, and I, I think they kind of eased him back in after his injury. 
my hunch is they'll do exactly what you said going forward. Um, I was asked on Twitter last night, you know, who would you rather have, Zeke or Saquon? I think that's an interesting conversation. And my thoughts really haven't changed. And I wrote an article actually over the summer saying, I thought Ezekiel Elliott was the best ball carrier in the league. Traditional hand the ball to him and, you know, running plays. And I still think that's true. Booger said the same thing last night. I was kind of shocked to hear him say it. But I answered that tweet, and I'm curious what your thoughts are of, they asked who would I rather have, and I said Saquon because I think his future is brighter from here until, you know, whenever they hang it up, and he's younger, a little more versatile, although Elliott needs to be used more in the passing game too. But I thought Elliott was the best runner in the league. And, of course, I got a lot of McCaffrey and even Cook responders. To, what are you talking about? And those two are awesome. I mean, they're, McCaffrey, I read, is on pace to have – the most fantasy points in the history of fantasy <laughs> this year. So that's pretty good. I recognize he's having an amazing year, but as many good running backs and Kamara's in that conversation, if I got one going forward, it would still be Saquon. Going forward, I like Saquon because the talent is there, and obviously he's a younger player, less tread on the tires, contract stuff. But if I need a guy to run between the tackles, I need one guy right now, everything else even, I would not – disagree with you about Zeke Elliott being that guy and yeah. I think he is still a better true runner and he's a really good receiver too so uh yeah don't don't forget about Zeke Elliott over here being as good as he is yeah he's a stud Amari Cooper getting involved with the touchdown there uh just looking at the the pure box score here I didn't really realize it but the yards per attempt were so awful for the New York Giants passing game Daniel Jones dropped back and threw it 41 times and net passing yards, 171 yards on those 41 attempts. That is not great. No, it's not. And uh, he's he's a tough guy to evaluate. I, I mean, because uh, I would didn't love him coming out, obviously. But he flashes. I mean, I think there's hope there. Um, it's just too early to write his book yet, though. Right. It's only five yards per attempt, and you subtract yeah. five sacks, too, which makes it even worse. So it's just tough. It's just tough. Not a great team around Daniel Jones, but I still... There are some things definitely to like and uh, to take away there from from Daniel Jones and obviously not a great roster around him. The fantasy trade deadline is coming up. Do you think because of what I talked about earlier and in teams doing their best to stop Saquon Barkley, is Saquon Barkley, if you're in a dynasty league or maybe just a keeper league and you know, some leagues where you can only keep one keeper, maybe you have some other players that you could keep instead? So many different league formats out there. Are there formats where you would dangle Saquon Barkley because you know there'd be a really good return? Um, I do a lot of dynasty and he, to me, if I'm having a, 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 a draft starting a league, he still is my first overall pick. So I would need a lot. I mean, my worry a little bit with the guy is he may have several years of just bashing his head against the wall. You know what I mean? Like he may never get to the promised land. He may, he may have a Barry Sanders like, you know, playoff situation where he's just running against eight man fronts for three or four years. And then he loses a step and then you go from there, but he's just immensely talented. And honestly, I think when he came out of Penn state and I don't regret saying this at all, I thought he was the most talented running back prospect I'd ever seen. And the best running back prospect I've ever seen. And, 
things could go that direction with him, but think he could also have that Christian McCaffrey season oh, coming yeah. up as well, just because of how good of a runner he is in his athleticism and his ability as a receiver, which I, I think all of that hasn't quite come together yet with that New York Giants offense, especially this year. Right. I agree. Okay. I want to actually get into some Sunday night football with you. We covered it on yesterday's show. I talked with Kevin Ostriker from Locked On Ravens, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk about the Patriots and the Ravens. And I think there's a lot to get into with that game coming up next. Dudes, listen up. Let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember those days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. I've told you about them many times. If you haven't tried it, you're out of your mind. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Guys, I never understood the pill thing. I mean, hey, you're going to make an appointment for an hour from now? I mean, Blue Chew works so much better. Blue Chew is prescribed online, ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, zero awkwardness. Made in the USA, and Blue Chew prepares and ships direct. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, they have a fantastic deal for all of you listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment totally free when you use our promo code LOCKEDONNFL. All you're paying is $5 shipping, and you're getting way more than $5 worth of product. And the promo code is locked on. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them a great deal for sponsoring the podcast. So the Patriots got their first loss in the 2019 season. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore at home. They just came out and it was the old cliche punched the Patriots in the mouth. And the Patriots tried to come back in that game. Uh, um, there was some turnover, some some guys fumbling the ball to each other in that game, both directions. But in the end, the Ravens front, that's been one of their problems getting after the quarterback. They gave Brady all he could handle, gave him a ton of trouble, pressure all night long. And then on the back end, that defense really coming together in Baltimore. And what can you say about Lamar Jackson? I don't really put Dak Prescott in the conversation for MVP. And I think just about everybody's there's a nice little gap behind Russell Wilson right now. But the next guy in that after that gap might be Lamar Jackson at this point. Yeah, I, I might put Watson ahead of Jackson, but I think there is a gap behind Wilson. And I think those are the next two in whatever order you like. Uh, Mahomes and Rodgers still could throw their hat in that ring at some point, too. There's a lot of football left, but they're, they're well behind, in my opinion. Um, I, I rarely go down this road, but it just kind of dawned on me that uh, I love that Watson, Wilson, Jackson are my top three MVP candidates, and I've said it now for a while, and not anyone has said, oh, that's the mobile African-American quarterback. Like, that's so done, and it's great, because I'm old enough to remember when they would ask Doug Williams, what's it like to be a black quarterback? Like, I'm just happy that that's all past us in this world, and I can't imagine I lived through times when it wasn't. And so it's just a little side note, and I'm not here to sit on a soapbox about race or anything like that, but it just dawned on me, and it's amazing that I, you don't think about those things anymore. No, it's a great point, and I didn't think about yeah. it at all until you brought it up. It's like, oh, right. you're right, yeah. I guess they are. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, 
And I think he's unbelievably difficult to play against, especially if it's the first time you see him. Um, his speed, and they said this about Vic too, that you can't simulate it in practice. I mean, you could even put a receiver back there in practice and run scout team. It wouldn't matter. His stop-start ability, his acceleration, um, and he's a much better passer than people realize. And I'm very proud of myself. I've gotten a couple of tweets lately saying, wow, you were right. You had Lamar Jackson as your number one quarterback in that draft. And you know, I didn't brag about it last year as much, but I'm pretty happy I nailed that one, I think. And he is a stud. Um, I think the Ravens are really good. I think the AFC has three big-time contenders now, including both those teams in Kansas City. But I have a little theory, and I want to talk Patriots a little bit here too, but I have a little theory, and I said it on my Steeler show, and a lot of my Steeler people listening were like, come on, Williams, did you give Belichick too much credit? And frankly, this town's a little jealous of the Patriots, to say the least. But <laughs> I very much believe that Belichick looked at that game and sure he wanted to win, but more importantly, I think he just wanted to gather data for when they meet again. You know, I mean, that loss doesn't hurt the Patriots at all. I mean, they'll still be 14 and 2, 13 and 3, get a bye, but those teams are going to meet again and he's going to on a much more important level. And I feel like the Ravens treated it like their Super Bowl, which they should. I mean, uh, that's nothing wrong with that. Where Belichick treated it like Let's just gather all the information we can for when we meet again. That's interesting. We talked a little bit about that yesterday with uh, Kevin from Locked on Ravens about the mindsets going in and if maybe they put too much on film for the Pats. And is is Bill Belichick that far ahead? I think so. That he would be like, you know what? This matters less than our obvious playoff run that we're headed toward right now. And we could do better later facing this team that we know we're going to face in the playoffs, or there's a good chance we're going to face in the playoffs. This game doesn't mean that much. Not that they weren't trying to win it, but of course, right. That's, I mean, that's just where he's at. Just if that's the case that it was almost a throwaway game for him, knowing that the next one's way more important and that he didn't want to show much and he wanted to learn a bunch and you can try to win and learn a bunch at the same time. And there's, a ton of other tape, not just tape against your team that Belichick watches, that he does a great job of of um, of scouting and self-scouting and finding ways to beat teams. But that's just a super interesting topic, and I would love to hear about that later, and we'll probably you know have a chance to, to hear about that if it does come to fruition and the, the Patriots do meet the Ravens in the playoffs. Uh, one of the other things I'm thinking about here with the Patriots... Yeah, go ahead. Do you have a point there? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I just want... Wanted to take it a step further because I I have no business trying to get in Belichick's head. I mean, he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But I think if he looked at it like, boy, I have some ideas of what we could do against Jackson. I'm not going to do them in this game. And instead, I'm going to gather information, like I said. But also, I think he can use it because now he can go into the film room with his team and rip them a new one. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, he can set this team back and be like, look how bad our left tackle is. I mean, this defense isn't as good as you guys thought you were. I mean, it's a, a slap in the face to the team. But meanwhile, he's thinking the, all along, how do I win yet another Super Bowl? I mean, it's the long game. And you can bet that when they face him again, Lamar Jackson's going to line up and take his first snap and be like, okay, this is completely different than what I saw the first time. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely true. 
So as soon as the Patriots lost, you knew it was coming. They've had a really easy schedule so far this year. And of course, people came out and said, ah, this was a paper tiger. This team is not that great. Uh, They've got some issues on offense. They weren't as good of a defense as they looked because they they were playing such bad teams. And they played the first really good team on their schedule, and they got beat handily. The Pats aren't that good. What do you say to that? Some of that's true because they're not as good as they looked in the first two months of the season where they beat everyone by 40. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, they're still an elite team. If we do a power ranks, and maybe we're due to do that soon, I would still have them ahead of Baltimore. But they weren't one for me last time we did it because of their level of competition. I do think they have holes. Um, their offense worries me, to be frank. I mean, I still think it's probably the best defense in the league, but not quite as amazing as when you had them on your fantasy team and you know all the things they've done to this point. But that offense, they don't have a left tackle. Their center situation is highly questionable. The blocking in general is average at best. They're rotating pass catchers left and right besides White and Edelman and maybe on something in Sanu. But I think Brady's frustrated with Gordon, Antonio Brown, Sanu, you know, like the revolving door at receiver, no Gronk, can't overlook that. And frankly, I think Brady is declining. I mean, just to put it frank, I mean, is he a bad player? Absolutely not but he's less of the deodorant than he was two years ago for problems. And I think he's a little frustrated. I was thinking about this while watching that game, because when you factor in the team waving Josh Gordon, who's already healthy again now, and will be playing for the Seahawks most likely next Monday night, the trade was essentially Josh Gordon and a second rounder for Sanu, who's a less physically talented player and probably a lot more, reliable and and maybe can uh-huh. do some of the dirty things that um that Belichick wants to do in the passing game but that seems like a like kind of a a loss or a step back to have to trade a second rounder just to go from Gordon to Sanu. Yeah, and their second rounder is different than most, you know, I mean it's going to be pick 60 or later. Um I think it's more of a stylistic thing and kind of like you touched on too, I think it's more of a personality thing that I don't think Gordon could toe the line seven days a week in New England and do what they do there as a team. So he had to go, I think, no matter what. So I don't quite look at it the same way. I think even if Mohamed Sanu didn't exist, Gordon wouldn't be there. You know, that he didn't fit in. He had to go. He doesn't – it's not the Patriot way, and he's not a good fit as a for a personality. And that doesn't mean he's a bad guy or he's not succeeding in Seattle. It's just a different environment in New England. Where Sanu's the opposite, and I do think they must love him. I mean, it's still a second-round pick, even if it's a late one. And I've said this a few times. I don't think it's an accident that you give up a second-round pick for Sanu and you use a first-round pick on Harry because I think they're both very similar big physical slots. You know, they're good after the catch guys. They're not... Gordon run fast outside the numbers guys. They'll block for you. They'll break tackles. They'll go in motion. You may even hand the ball to Harry here and there. Sanu will throw the ball from time to time. So I think they're looking for that style receiver, the big slot. And you saw them try to get that last year with Jordan Matthews. He's been a big slot throughout his career, and they ended up kind of doing the same thing and moving on from him quickly once he got hurt. So reliability, looking for a big-bodied slot, all those things make sense. And when it comes to Josh Gordon, were you surprised that 
he got to 28 on the waiver wire, and it came out that Seattle was actually the only team that claimed him. So I think a lot of teams around the league, and maybe for the same reason the Patriots let him go, were thinking, ah, I don't know if we can trust this guy. Maybe not worth throwing uh, a waiver claim at him. And maybe if we are interested, we could still bring him in if he clears waivers and have him work out and, and meet the guy. Yeah, and tough one because... Who? I mean, I, I don't think he's using, I don't know, but he is an addict, basically. And I'm sure a lot of teams and owners just said, no, I don't care how good he is. And I think he's a declining player, too. And how many people had the cap room or the desire to bring in that personality into their locker room? Um, I think Seattle's a really good fit. But it does shock me that Minnesota wouldn't put a claim in. You know, somebody else that's a contender that could use a big body. By the way, at 28 and a half years old, Josh Gordon will be 29 next year, and he's finally going to be an unrestricted free agent for the first time after being drafted in wow. 2012 this offseason. <laughs> wow, that's quite the path he's taken. Right. Uh, real quick, one note on the Seahawks wide receiving core. I saw this just come down on uh, Twitter, and I thought it was really interesting from Scott Barrett. Since entering the league in 2015, Tyler Lockett ranks first in all-purpose yards, 11th among wide receivers in touchdowns, first in passer rating when targeted, and first in fantasy points per target, but only ranks 117th in games with double-digit targets. Wow, that's interesting because right before we started recording this podcast, I was writing something about Seattle, and I think the words I typed were, Tyler Lockett might be having the best season of any wide receiver in the league. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, the usage goes up, and you see that production go up to match it, and he's a problem for teams, and now they can go three wide. They can use Tyler Lockett and move him around a lot, use him in the slot, and you've got those two monsters on the outside, and DK Metcalf, who's now leading all rookie wide receivers in receiving yards and touchdowns. He just passed McLaurin last week, and Josh Gordon on the other side. Yeah, it's a pretty dangerous group with an MVP pulling the trigger, best deep ball thrower in the league. Wilson's putting up the best numbers of his career, coming off of the best game I've seen in a while, too. It's a scary unit. And I also think Gordon and especially Metcalf, you know, they run the ball so much that they'll they'll get dirty and block a linebacker or safety. Absolutely. It's going to be a good one next Monday night with uh, the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. And props to you. You had the 49ers number one in your power rankings before everybody else did, the Patriots now lose a game and the ESPN power rankings came out today and the 49ers were on top. So uh, you beat the herd to that one, Matt. <laughs> we'll see if they can maintain it. It's a tough one against Seattle. But I just think that the going back to the Patriots situation, I think they have holes, especially on offense. And I think Belichick knows it. And of course, he's got a master plan in place. So if anyone's going to figure things out, I'm not too worried about the Patriots, and my heart doesn't exactly go out to that organization. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> the, yeah, they'll be fine. I want to talk about some coaching hot seats, and the AFC East is probably a great place to start. Who's hot? Who's not? This podcast is brought to you in part by Peloton. Can't find a workout that keeps you engaged? Peloton is an immersive cardio experience with real-time features that will always keep you coming back. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. Let's do this. Let's rank them in order of hottest seats to maybe, you know, the top three or four coaches around the league. And maybe even if you have some surprise coaches that you think 
might be on the hot seat. Um, I think after what I've seen this season, there's two coaches that are in their first year as a head coach that I would, and I, I don't like the one and done situation because it always takes time. And we're seeing it with Brian Flores. That's the least talented roster in the NFL, but he's building some kind of culture there because they are staying in games and they're playing well together. And that has to make you happy if you're the owner and you're the GM in Miami and seeing that team at least beat another bad team and not go 0-16 this year. And so I like the direction things are going with with Brian Flores. But when I look at the team that the Dolphins beat this week, Adam Gase, I've liked nothing I've seen from Adam Gase and how he handles people. And I, I'm just not sold on that one. And I, I think that could be a one-and-done situation for the Jets. Yeah, I really start to lean that way too because – First of all, I just touch on Miami because it'd be a crime even if they lose every game going forward to to fire Flores at this point. I mean, that was the plan. You're trading all of his players. You know, they had a ridiculous number of roster transactions in the first month of the season. Like, people were coming and going, especially in the offensive line, left and right. There's no way of winning, but they're getting better. They're playing hard. They're finding some guys on this roster that they can – you know, keep around for a couple of years. So, um, and they got first round picks galore coming up. So and Miami's got a plan. This They followed the plan. This is what they plan on doing from day one. So th- you can't, you know, crucify him for doing exactly what you plan to do. Um, the Jets are a nightmare though. And the way Darnold's playing is really an indictment on the coaching staff because that's what he was hired to do. The more and more you look at this team and the GM shuffling and ownership and the way they've hired, it seems like it's nearing Redskins level of dysfunction and incompetence. If we ranked, maybe it's something we'll do in the offseason, if you ranked all the organizations, you know, top to bottom from ownership to GM to coach to the way they function to history, Jets would be pretty low on that list. Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland, also a potential one and done. And in the same vein, I I would have those guys pretty even there as coaches that are definitely not helping their team that I don't have a lot of confidence in getting the ship righted there. Kitchens comes in with more hype and a lot more talent. And it seems that maybe the personalities are getting out of control on him. Jermaine Whitehead getting cut after saying just some really dumb crap on Twitter at fans. You've got Baker Mayfield walking away from a reporter doing, you know, his whole routine, which is not a huge deal if he's winning, and it becomes a, a big deal if the team is losing. Kitchens, I I, I got to believe, is, is not going to stick around. I don't think you'll see the end of the year. I really don't. And we've been making the joke on my Steelers show because it's happened many times in history that when they lose the Steelers, they're, he may be done. There's a Thursday night game coming up that ownership tends to fire their coaches after a big Steeler loss. And I think that could happen, you know, in the next month or so. You talk about a bad look. I mean, he was hired because he did, quote, really good things with Mayfield and they won games. And boy, the offense is a disaster. And I do think Dorsey, the GM, deserves a little bit of heat too because. He treats it like he's adding fantasy football players. You know, like, wouldn't you like Kevin Zeitler right now? You know what I mean? Like, they they ignore the line, and they don't worry about character, and they bring in questionable guys and a lot of me guys. And when things go wrong, that's fine when things are good, but when things go wrong, 
those type of dudes blame everybody but themselves and start pointing fingers and do weird things on Twitter and you know what I mean? And just, it's a very combustible situation and the culture is a real problem. That's totally fair. And you know, when, when GMs go, then head coaches usually follow there and the, the Jets one's an interesting situation too, because the GM is new and was hired after the head coach. And maybe he wants to bring in his own guy, but I think they brought him in because they, he, they thought that was a good marriage between Gase and, um, and Douglas there in New York. So those are both very interesting situations. And I would assume both GMs make it through, but both head coaches, I think I would ask at this point, and I think kitchens probably goes first. So if if I'm ranking the hottest seats, I would go kitchens one Gase two, And I would put Dan Quinn in Atlanta three, even though I think he's going to get fired and maybe even is more likely than the others to get fired. But I think Dan Quinn's at least built up some goodwill. Maybe you try to, change some assistance or do something there because Dan Quinn's been in a Super Bowl too. Right. I mean, maybe that's like a Mike McCarthy situation, although he did get fired midseason, but at least you you live out the year with them. You're not going to the Super Bowl. You probably haven't found the next, you know, Hallis or Noel or Landry in the building. Live with them throughout the year, part ways make it seem like it's kind of mutual, but I don't think he'll be back next year. I mean, I, I, that would really shock me. They are highly, highly disappointing, and I don't have it in front of me, but their record since losing the Super Bowl to New England is awful. I mean, considering that they were a Super Bowl team when we start that exercise, it's really bad. And, again, he's a – He's the defensive guy, and the defense is the problem. And I also have said this a few times. I do think that Seahawks cover three that a lot of these teams are running is starting to be a thing of the past, and it's time for new blood in there, which is rough because your quarterback's an older guy. You know, like that's it's always a tough situation when you know, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers has to learn a new environment. I've heard some people say that they thought Matt Nagy should be on the hot seat because he's potentially losing his locker room by continuing to throw Mitch Trubisky out there. I don't know how much of a choice he has. You go to Chase Daniel, I don't think that's going to lead you to a Super Bowl or anything like that. So he'd rather try to develop the more physically talented quarterback. It's a tough situation. Um, I wouldn't put Nagy on the hot seat at this point, but I understand people being frustrated in Chicago being in last place in the NFC North. Um are there any other coaches around the league that you think deserve to be on the hot seat? I, I don't think Vic Fangio as a first-year guy in Denver, even though their record's not good, I would say Elway would be on the hotter seat as GM in Denver. But if you change GMs, you got to change head coaches. Yeah, I think Elway has proven that he can't find a quarterback. So at least in Denver, I think we'll see Drew Locke in Week 11, and maybe that gives us hope for next year. You know, they're the hot team in this offseason. Boy, they looks like they have a quarterback, kind of like – Mayfield was at the end of last year. I mean, that's a possibility at least. So I think Fangio deserves another year. Um, Chicago, like you said, they deserve to be frustrated. But Nagy, Nagy was coach of the year last year. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. I, mean I, I don't put a lot of stock in that. But I mean, that doesn't mean he's a great coach. But he did a great job last year with basically the same roster. He's not the problem now all of a sudden did he tell i mean is he a, a liability now all of a sudden i i think the quarterback's a nightmare right good point uh Bengals one and done situation there nah i think he deserves at least to 
have A.J. Green and Jonah Williams and put another year into building an offensive line, a very patient ownership, to say the least, too. They don't want to pay two head coaches. One note here that I didn't get to that I just noticed and, and I hadn't talked about yet, Matt, and this is good news for you. We talked about this yesterday, and I was wrong. Adam Vinatieri is actually 46 years old, will be 47 in December. So you're still younger than one guy left in the NFL. Wow. I turned 47 in June, so yeah. There you go. There you <laughs> Six go. months on him. Let, let's hope Vinatieri doesn't call it quits after the season, though. Maybe I can soak him out of retirement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You still got some, some good <laughs> years. Yeah, you got too. some good years in front of you. <laughs> All he right. looks terrible, by the way. Yeah, I think he might be done. You might be alone yeah. by your 47th birthday. I think you're right. Okay, great stuff, Matt. As always, we'll be back tomorrow. Later this week, we're going to get into some Twitter questions and some special guests and talk everything happening around the National Football League right here, Locked On NFL.